All right, well, this morning, the, I've always wanted to, to address this, and uh, I mentioned, uh, we mentioned it on Wednesday evening, but um, I've never really spoken on this, and it is basically the six barren women in the Bible that finally gave birth. <laughs> you say, what on earth is that? Well, it's the six women that predominantly in the scriptures that talk to us that they were not able to have children. And in, in the scriptures in the biblical times, when a woman could not have a child, it was considered that God was against that person or they had sinned. Well, not only that, but in the beginning of Abraham, Sarah, the, the, the promise of God that through Abraham, all the descendants, all, all, and through his descendants, all the world would be blessed. Well, and they can't have a child. <laughs> so there's a problem with all of this. Well, we, I look at it in the sense that without the miraculous, there, is, there are only empty promises. Without the miraculous, there's only empty promises. Now, there are some people you talk to, they, they promise you everything. <laughs> they deliver on nothing. And if we can't keep our word, then when people, when you give that promise, people, well, you know, that's, you know, you know who said that, so you might as well just let it go because you know it's not going to happen. Well, when God gives us a promise, and there's a scriptural promise that, that just bounces up in our heart to, to life, we know that God is kind of impressing that upon our life, and it's something that he, God, wants to, to bring about in our life. So when it is impossible with man, it is possible with God. Now, you know, for Christmas, we have these things, well, I may want a Corvette or, you know, something like that. It's impossible with God, but with my wife, maybe she could get it for me. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> no, but... You know, we, we, can, we can think of that, wow, somebody can buy this or purchase this for me. That's not what it's about. The promises of God are, are of greater eternal value, but he, he does provide for us in every aspect of life, and it doesn't mean he can't provide a car or a home or whatever is needed. But from the origin of God's promises, starting in the Garden of Eden and continuing on from uh, right up, we move then into Abraham and how the God promised to Abraham that his, through him all the descendants of the world would be blessed. And we have all these scriptures and we have all these promises that God has bestowed upon Abraham, but yet he doesn't have a son. So why would God choose a couple, Abraham and Sarah? Why would he choose them to be the parents of a new nation? And they can't have children. You know, eventually, as we go through this, we'll find out Sarah is 90 and Abraham is 100. And they have their first child. So whenever we're looking at that, why would God say to Abraham, who is going to be the foundational, the pivotal point, the father of faith, and, and he can't have a child? They, you know, Sarah's uh, sterile. She's, she's not able to have children. And so God made a promise to someone who can't, perform, live up to the task. But you see, that's where the supernatural comes in. And when the supernatural is without God, the promises are empty words. So here's Abraham, and God is telling him that through his descendants, there'll be as many as the stars and as much as the sand of the sea. And how can he believe that if he can't even have a child? So there becomes the stumbling block there becomes the challenge the test 
And see, without God, the promises are empty words. So God is involved in the promise. God is involved in what he intends to bring about in our life. If we think we can do it on our own, then we're missing the point. We can't do it on our own. But when the promises are beyond the natural, when the promises are beyond human ability to fulfill fulfill them, this is when God is in the promise. See, God is in the promise when you can't do it yourself. There's no way you can make this happen. So we find ourselves in this same position, a similar position as we see these different couples that we look at today. And I, I want to say, as we start off here, Mary's conception, okay? When we're talking about six barren women in the Bible that finally gave birth, okay? What happened with these six women is not the same as what happened with Mary. See, Mary's conception would be without human relationships. Mary, her conception, Jesus being born of Mary, is a divine conception. There is no father as earthly father. In each of these other situations that we look at today, there is a human relationship, a husband and wife. But in the conception of Mary with, with the birth of Jesus, the miracle is of the highest magnitude. So what I, what I look at when I see this is, when you see the history of Israel, and how that God, from the very beginning, was able to intervene in the lives of individuals to have them give birth to a child, then we come to the point where Jesus is conceived, and it is now conceivable <laughs> that it can be divine. And God, through the scriptures, leads us up to that point. It, I, I think of it in the context of uh, whenever Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This happens a week before Jesus is crucified. <laughs> and that may be the very week that Jesus is crucified and uh, put in the grave. For, so as we look back at it, we're able to look at the people, and they're devastated. I mean, they're super elated. You know, Lazarus is risen from the dead. What a magnificent Savior this is. He is the new Messiah, and then later on, he's crucified on a cross and laid in a grave. It's like, how does this happen? But you see, God was preparing them ahead of time that he was letting them know he is the giver of life. Nothing can take his life. Jesus says, you don't take my life, I give it. The nails on the cross didn't hold him to the cross. His love for us held him to the cross. When he is conceived in, in the womb of, of, of Mary, and, and the, the, you know, God himself is in, involved in this whole process of becoming human, he is setting aside his divinity and taking on the form of humanity so that he could die for us. That's how much he loves us. So in Sarah and Abraham, the name of Abrams, Abraham, Abrams, excuse me, whenever God made this promise to Abram, that was his name, Abram. <laughs> and the, um, the word Abram is exalted father, and Abraham is the father of many nations. So God says, to the name of, to the, to the of Abram, excuse me, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. But Sarai was barren and had no children. Okay? So when God called Abraham to, Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldees, 
to leave his home and his, his relatives and his, uh, his homeland, and he was promised that he was going to have a great nation, and he was to start off and go and to a land that when he got there, God would tell him when he arrived. So he starts off with this journey with a promise that God is going to make of him a great nation. Well, through this whole experience, Abraham and Sarah were tested. If there's anything I don't like, it's tests. <laughs> you like tests? No, no. I like tests. Tests on our level is for people to find out what we know. When God gives us a test, it's for us to know what we know. He already knows. God already knows whether we're going to pass or fail, what we need to do. So the test is about us discovering what more we need to know, what more we need to have in our possession, in our life, to go on to the next level. So it isn't about him finding out. It's about us understanding that, that he has more for us and we, we need to you know, keep moving up in our, in our understanding and our faith. So um, the test then is for Abraham and Sarah to that they need to find out, do they really believe? Well, they, they were tested. And so both of them were tempted to think that they should solve the problem. God promised us a child. They're 76, 74, somewhere. Sarah's 76 years old, and so she can't have a child. So what they did was, a handmaiden, a, a, a slave was considered property. So property was that in, in those days, the, uh, the owner of the property could have a wife and many of the slaves that were considered property of his wife. So he could have many children. So what happened with Sarah is they decided they got to help God out. <laughs> I can't have a child, so Abraham... You can be with my handmaiden, uh, Hagar, Hagar, whatever, Hagar and when and she has a child, it'll be, our, it'll be all our child. Well, it didn't work out for them. After their inability to solve the problem of making God's promises come true, <laughs> the, our inability to make God's promises come true. See, we can't do that. Abraham and Sarah tried it. And so for 14 years, they waited until Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100 and for the promise to be fulfilled. And so in the case of Abraham, you know, he and his wife were way beyond the ability for them to have children. But God said, you will have a child. And so those promises that were given to Abraham way back when now became fulfilled and they had a son named Isaac. And so this barren woman <laughs> became the mother of the son, Abraham and Isaac. So Isaac is the child. Well, Isaac, <laughs> Rebecca is Isaac's wife. Okay, so you would think that she would do a fertil fertility test. <laughs> you know, go to the doctor, the local clinic, and have a fertility test. Well, doesn't happen. Isaac prayed, this is at Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. So he marries a woman just like his, his mother. 
She can't have a child. Wait a minute. God said through Abraham, all the world is going to be blessed. Sarah can't have a child. Okay? Finally does. Isaac is born. Isaac has, gets married. And the fulfillment of the promise rests on Isaac. His wife can't have children. <laughs> God is not a good choice of women, you know, for his, his patriarchs. <laughs> he just, you know, he's just messing up here. But if, you know, if God, but see, the whole point is that God had to put all these, God was putting these things, these stumbling blocks, stepping stones in place, so that where is he going with all of this? Eventually, it's going to end up with Mary and an angel making the declaration, you're going to have a child. Well, but if we go back through the history of Israel, we see how God worked through a husband and wife when the wife was barren. And we see this happening. And here it was with Isaac the same way. Isaac, who inherited the promise of a great nation, he was also tested with Rebekah as she was barren. So the text says that he prayed for his wife and Jehovah accepted it and Rebekah conceived. So she had a miraculous conception. It's... Um, the, the miraculous reception of Franco Harris is not part of the Bible. The immaculate conception of Franco Harris and the Steelers is not part of this outline here in the, in, the, in the scriptures, just in case some of you were thinking that I would put that in there. Thank you for laughing. Thank you very much. So then we have Abraham had Sarah, his wife, they couldn't have a child, but they had Isaac. Isaac, he gets married. He's married to Rebecca. Rebecca has a child, two of them, <laughs> Jacob and Esau. Well, now Jacob becomes the, the, the child of promise. And now Jacob is married. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Jacob? He's tricked. You see, Jacob was a... a his name means deceiver. And you would think that everybody that is associated with the Bible and his divine lineage would be perfect people. These guys have a lot to be desired. <laughs> okay? Jacob and Esau. Jacob, Esau is the older one, but not by much because what happens is when they're being born, they're twins. All right? So Jacob, I guess... His arm goes out first. He's going to be the first one born. They tie a string around it. He doesn't get born. He gets back in, and his brother comes out. So it's, it, you know, the, the analogy is, even from being in the womb, these two didn't get along. Okay, so Esau is the older one, and Jacob is the younger. So Jacob wants the birthright. The birthright was the promise of God given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to the next generation and Jacob says, and, and, and Jacob, he says, I want that. So he deceives his brother and tricks him. And, you know, he doesn't deceive him. His brother's out hunting. He's starving. Oh, I'm going to die. And, and, and his brother says, if you give me the birthright, I'll feed you. He goes, yeah, take the birthright. Here's the soup. So Esau didn't, he didn't, he didn't treasure the birthright. He lost it. But Jacob wasn't much better. He stole it. <laughs> and there's a lot goes into that. So in fear of his brother killing him, 
Did you ever think you were in, you know, I know. But anyhow, <laughs> I had brothers, you know. My, my two older brothers, I, I hardly remember a time. Now, I'm, I'm much younger than them. They're 10 and 11 years older than me. So when I'm 6, they're 16 and 18, somewhere in there. I can't remember scenes without them two fighting. <laughs> I mean, they were always fighting. And I mean not just arguing. I mean knockdown, bangouts, swinging, and it's like, uh, just where'd this come from? But anyhow, Jacob and Esau were kind of this, this bang-up pair. Well, Jacob <laughs> steals the birthright, runs off to his mother's father, father-in-law, Laban. Well, and Jehovah saw that, well, what happened there is <laughs> his brother, his mother, his, his father-in-law, his father-in-law is a deceiver too. So he wants to marry. He wants to marry. And um, he wants to marry Rachel. Not my Rachel, this Rachel. And he wants to marry Rachel, so Laban says, work for me for seven years, you can have her. Okay, works for seven years. They go to the wedding celebration and everything, and Laban, he says, you know, he tricks. He, you know, they got married with the veil, and, you know, they didn't have lights and stuff. And so <laughs> he got Leah, Rachel's sister. He wakes up in the morning, and it's not Rachel. <laughs> it's, it's Leah, and she's the older one, and he tricked her. Then he says, well, if you stay for me seven more years, you'll get to marry Rachel. <laughs> so he's the trickster. Well, what happened to him, what he did to his brother, ended up happening to him. What you sow, you reap. But you see, there's still a problem. He eventually gets Rachel, has Rachel as his wife, but guess what? She can't have kids. <laughs> Wait a minute here, God. Here's the descendants, the line, and all this stuff. What are you doing? Well, he prays. And his wife has a son, after many years, has a son, and that son is Joseph. <laughs> well, so then there is Manoah. Now, he's a well-known Bible character. All of you know him, right, Manoah? <laughs> well, in Judges chapter 13, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. Imagine that, I'm reading about women who can't have children. All right. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. And the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. So here again is a woman who is praying to have children. Now, we know that this, the, the miraculous interaction that takes place in each of these settings is between a husband and wife. But the wife is barren, can't have a children, but God answers the prayer and they can have a child. And so here we have Manoah, and she has a son named Samson. And then there is Anna, the wife of Elian. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Elian had two wives. Now, again, we're looking at this. They had property. They, had, they were able to have more multiple wives in those times, and handmaidens could be property and so on. So um, he had two wives. One was Hannah, and the other was Penaeah. 
Peniah, there we go. Peniah had children, but Hannah had none. Now, this is the story that goes there. That every year, the, the two wives and Hannah would go to the, the, the holy place, to the temple, and they would offer prayers. Well, Hannah, she had a bunch of kids. She had, she had kids all over the place. <laughs> and she was always having a child. But uh, Hannah, but Peniah, excuse me, Peniah, I make sure I get all these names correct. Uh, Hannah was the one who couldn't have children. And so Hannah goes to the temple, and every time they're going to the temple, that his, you know, the, the, her, the, her husband would give her a double portion of meat and so on to show to her that he thought of her as his favorite. Everybody else got equal portions but her. But the other wife would always ride her and, as it were, you know, well, you, you can't have children, you know, and she just all over. So she couldn't even eat. Goes on to tell us that story. So Hannah goes to the temple and there she is praying before God. And she's asking God to give her a son. And in her praying, she says, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to God and I will bring him to God's service for the rest of his life. Eli saw her praying. Eli thought she was drunk. <laughs> He's some priest. He thought she was drunk. Why? Because she's crying and mumbling. She's not talking. So he figures she's drunk. He goes over and balls her out for this. And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm pleading my heart out to God. And Eli says, go in peace and may God of Israel grant you what you have asked for. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love with his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. His name was Samuel, the great prophet. There again, someone who was barren, now remember, these are individuals who had promise. Not just promise and possibility. These were individuals who had the promise of God. And they believed in that promise to the point that they were willing to ask God for it and believe God for it no matter how long it took. So, miraculous intervention, but is a result of human relationship. Notice that... Uh, so what was considered to be an act of God against them, be not being able to have a child, was turned around to being a sign that God was for them. You see, this is, again, something, a learning lesson, a point here is, when things appear to be against us, that's not necessarily what they really are about. Because those are points in which we, we can't do anything about them, but God can so God can turn them around. We have to pray about them and ask God to turn them around as he did in these situations. And, he, and, he, and there, the problem was turned not against them, but for them. So, and here in these situations, it brought about a great sign for the people and for Israel. 
Um, how much time? I don't have my little clock up there. Just keep going, huh? Yeah. Uh, Christmas is coming. <laughs> Imagine. Preacher, Christmas is coming. Finish the sermon. <laughs> well, I was going to read uh, in, in um, what? I don't even have it down here. I just have chapter 2. But anyhow, in, in this prayer of Hannah, she goes into this prayer that is here. It says, Hannah prayed, saying, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is bold against mine enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And there's a whole text there of, of rejoicing and how, grat how grateful she is to God for all the blessings that he has done for her and giving her a son. And then we move to the sixth of it, Elizabeth and Zechariah. We did this one, I think, last week. In the Sunday school lesson, um, Zechariah, um, he is of the tribe, I forgot, just left my head. But anyhow, he was of the division of Ab Abijah, A-B-I-J-A-H. But anyhow, there's 24 divisions of priests in Israel, and there's 24,000 priests. Okay? Once a year, they have a one priest who goes into the holies of holies with a sacrifice for the entire nation. Zechariah is the man designated to do this. Well, Zechariah is an older man, and his wife is an older lady, and she's well beyond having children. And while Zechariah is in there offering the prayer to God, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah says, oh, I can't have a son. I'm too old. Have you seen my wife? <laughs> That's an amplification there. Uh, so anyhow, the angel says, you're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. And because you don't believe, you can't talk or hear till your son's born. Get out of here. So, and it's not what he did. But anyhow, he goes home, and sure enough, there is his wife, Elizabeth, and she is with child, and their son becomes John the Baptist. So here we have all of these ladies and all these men in line and talking about and seeing how the God through the history of Israel has been able to work through husband and wife who were unable to have children to give them a child. So where does that take us to? It takes us to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary, how will this be? I'm a virgin. I'm not married. I'm espoused to a man named Joseph. But I've never been with a man. And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So when we move to that text, we see how that God has been involved in marital relationships to when problems <laughs> arose that the promise could not be fulfilled unless there was a miraculous intervention. And he intervened with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then throughout the history of Israel, he intervened. Now for the coming of his son, for the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're not going to have a man involved. We're going to have the Holy Spirit overshadow a young virgin, and she will conceive and have the birth of the Son of God. Hmm. As you follow the plan, you see, well, that's possible. <laughs> so we find that um, it, even though we know that the birth of these other barren women involved their husbands, we also now can know that the birth of Christ doesn't need a husband or a man. It is the Holy Spirit that conceives God in the, in the womb of, of Mary. And so when we are confronted with a difficulty and impossibility, we can see that God has done, prepared us for this point in time. Just like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, then he is taken and crucified and, and laid in a grave. He who has the power to raise the dead can also raise himself from the dead. He who has the power to help women conceive and have a child to keep fulfilling the promise is able to have a child to fulfill the promised Messiah, and it is Jesus. And Mary says, My heart is overflowed with praise of my Lord. My soul is full of joy in God my Savior. For he has stooped down to notice me, his humble servant. And after this, all the people who ever shall be will call me the happiest or blessed of women. The one who can do all things has done great things for me. Oh, holy is his name. <laughs> the one who can do great things has done great things for me. Holy is his name. <laughs> so, imagine that. Sunday before Christmas, <laughs> the Sunday before the Sunday before Christmas, we are grateful to have God's blessing and God's enlightenment in our own heart. Nothing, when things seem impossible, that's just because God wants us to take a next step. Take it to God in prayer and allow God to take us to that next step because the test is not about whether we're going to believe. The test is God is trying to show us what we do believe and how that God can do the miraculous even whenever we can't. Father, we thank you for this lesson that you teach us in life and 
through the scriptures and the text, we ask, Lord, that you impart it into our hearts and minds this Christmas season. For, Lord, there are many impossibilities in our nation, in our world, but, God, nothing is impossible with you. And we thank you. We thank you. You are the one who can do all things, and you have promised to do great things in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.